Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Now, it's Gabe time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all of football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the Easy Bake Oven. Like a boss, the best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's game time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM, ESPN. How about a Tuesday, November 14, 2023? Welcome in. Welcome in to the Gabe Coon Show. I'm your host. Former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman Gabe Kuhn on X at G underscore Kuhn 71. I'm alongside the executive producer of the Gabe Kuhn Show. Per always, that's Connor Dunning. On X at C Dunning 99. Connor, what's the word, brother? What's up, man? Not much, man. Hanging in there? Hanging in there? Been in the trade machine today? You have! Diving deep into trade scenarios with the Grizzlies, <laughs> with the with the Bulls about to blow up everything? Is that, is, that, is that what I'm sensing? I've just been staring at Gigi Jackson's hustle box scores and then going to well, the trade machine. what about Jake LaRavia's hustle box scores? I've been looking at Gigi Jackson's hustle box scores. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is that. It's and talking we will to me talk, like the Green Goblin mask. We will dude. talk about the Bulls and, you know, the potential for the Grizzlies to get involved with the Bulls about to blow up everything. That'll be in the, that'll be in the old blitz. But welcome in. Three hours of talk on the way courtesy of 92.9 FM ESPN and yours truly. Going to open on Monday Night Football. And uh, the Bills dropping to 5-5 five and five outside of the AFC playoff picture. They are not in the wild card. They're not leading their division. They are 5-5. Five and five. And in response to last night's game, what did we have? We had Ken Dorsey, the OC of the Buffalo Bills, getting fired. Now, a guy by the name of Joe Brady that a lot of people are familiar with because of the 2019 LSU National Championship with Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. He is going to step in and be the interim. Maybe he can do better, but I think there's a lot of discussion to be had there, as well as uh, my favorite time of the year, Connor. Connor, it is it has finally come to this point. We have a firing at AM. Talked about it yesterday with Jimbo Fisher. Have a firing at uh, Mississippi State with Zach Arnett. That's an opening. Uh, Andy Avalos. Dismissed from Boise State, opening at Boise State. And it looks like San Diego State is another job that will be open at the end of the year because Brady Hoke, longtime coach there, is officially going to retire. Coaching carousel season's upon us, Connor. It is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Fake posts, following plane tracking. We have a coaches answering questions they have no business answering in a press setting. Where they say, oh, you know, are you, are you going to leave? And, of course, what does the coach say? Absolutely not. I'm not leaving. I have everything I want right here. And then, ultimately, they could leave on the back end and make that presser look absolutely ridiculous. I love coaching carousel season. It, it warms my heart. It's the best thing ever. I, I, and here's where I think we're behind, Connor. I've only seen one Urban Meyer return to college coaching tweet. We're behind. We have to get those, we have it, to get those numbers honestly, boosted up, it's, brother. I'm very disappointed in A&M right now. Like, how haven't? Hasn't that I just need, taken over the internet? I need I need thousands of tweet, tweets about Urban Meyer returning to coaching, even though I fully disagree with it and don't think it would work out. I need it. Like, I need water. Correct. I mean, it's, it's, de- it's depressing. We are behind, but I'm going to catch us all up. I'm going to catch us up today. I'll tell you that. We already had a Jamie Chadwell fake Starkville post. That's great. That's, that's fantastic. Put that out on my Twitter earlier today, and I, I, I try to tell people. Everybody asks me if it's Photoshopped. What I say is I'm here not for the truth, but for the fun. 
I'm not here for the truth. I'm here for the fun that comes with the coaching carousel. But we'll talk about that and the rumors that are that are uh, that are coming out. Also, Tiger football this weekend. We know it's a massive matchup against uh, SMU. An opening line has come out, Connor. Eight points. SMU is favored by on the road against Memphis. And Mark Giannato just blessed me with this nugget. This is the largest that they have been a dog at home. This is the largest line with them being at home as a dog since 2015 Ole Miss. Hopefully that bodes well. Hopefully that bodes well, but we'll talk about that as well as the Grizzlies tonight. 9.30 p.m. I You can catch a whole game. I need rest. I need sleep. Am I going to catch the whole game? Yeah. To be honest, I'm probably going to be watching a movie, and I'll have it on, and I'll just be following it on on the app. Oh, my God. That's a late. I hate it. It's so late. The 9 o'clock and the 9.30 start times, they just don't hit the same. They just don't feel right. No. I I might fall asleep before, but I'll try to catch as much as I can. Um, As far as guests are concerned, uh, it's a customary Tuesday. Jeff Calkins from Jeff Calkins Show, Daily Memphian at 5 o'clock, and then Christian Fowler from Bluff City Media. We have the On the Bluff podcast. Um, he'll be at 6 o'clock. We'll talk about Tiger football, Tiger basketball, a little bit of NFL with the, with the Bills and what they did last night. We'll hop into the Blitz around 6.30. And within the Blitz, um, of course, the Bulls trade options that we've been talking about. Connor's been hitting the trade machine hard today. I still think they need to ban the trade machine because the amount of nasty trades people put out there on the World Wide Web just it disgusts me, it, it, quite frankly. You, you actually use your head about it, um, so I'll give you credit there. Um, but we'll talk about that as well as Quinn Ewers. There's a report out there from inside Texas, the on three arm for the University of Texas, that Quinn Ewers may stay another year in college. Right move, wrong move. And then, of course, being where we are and how popular the Mannings are, we know Arch Manning is waiting in the wings there. What does that mean for him? I think that's the question a lot of people want answered. So we'll talk about that as we get into the Blitz course trip around the NFL at 530. And small talk at 5.50. But we have to start at one place and one place only. That's Monday night football last night. That was a tragic collapse. Tragic by the Bills. They were seven-point favorites. They end up losing 24-22 to on an expiring field goal from Will Lutz. Um, and I think the game's marred by Josh Allen turnovers. Tell me if you've heard that before. I've heard that a million times. When we look at Josh Allen... Um, the last two years, he has a league-leading 13 turnovers, uh, 11 INTs this season. He led last year in turnovers with 19. Um, he, is, he is an elite quarterback. Don't, don't get it twisted. He's phenomenal. He's got great arm talent. He does everything, uh, generally speaking, that you want of a premier franchise quarterback. But the turnovers just continue to follow him every step of the way. Um, they ended up losing that game, though, on that Will Lutz field goal. And I want to start there because I – I can't understand how they made that mistake late in that game last night. I I just can't understand it. We call it whistle kick in college football because when you get a first down, they start the whistle, and you get on the field, and you snap the ball. It's a fire drill field goal situation because you don't have timeouts. You have to get on the field very quickly. And without question, there's going to be no fakes. There's going to be no – make no bones about it. That field goal is going up in the air, good or no good. First one from Will Lutz was no good. But then we go back and we check the Bills. How many players did they have on the field? They had 12 players on the field. 12. Too many men on the field in that situation, an expiring kick, fire drill field goal situation. They had 12 men on the field on a missed field goal from Will Lutz. So they line it up again, and of course, Will Lutz has been around the league for a while. He's not going to make the same mistake twice. He nails it. He nails it right down the middle, and the Bills end up losing. I can't understand a a gaffe like that. That's the worst gaffe I've seen in the NFL so far this year. And the reason I say that is because that field goal is going up by hook or by crook. They have no timeouts. They're running on the field. They're doing everything they can. They're scrambling. It's an uncomfortable situation that you made comfortable for them by giving them another down where they didn't have to work against the clock. You could have nine guys on the field. And I understand you want to have, like, your field goal block unit out there and you want to try to press it and you want to see if you can block a field goal, but the likelihood of you blocking a field goal in that particular situation is zero to none. You could have had six, seven, eight, nine players on the field, not gotten the penalty. You would have won the ball game because they missed a field goal, but yet you had 12 on the field. I, I, 
my mind is blown. The Bills have found several different ways to lose ball games. Usually it's on Josh Allen turnovers, but this particular situation, it was a mix of Josh Allen turnovers and then that final play of the game where you had too many men on the field. And it's just it's it's beyond the pale. It's not it's not excusable and it's unbelievable that an NFL team, a, a team that we thought would be at the top of the AFC, a team that we thought could compete for the Super Bowl would make it make a mistake like that. It's just you can't do that if you want to be a high-level National Football League team. Can you help explain how a 12th man was on that field in that situation because as as a fan watching it from a, someone that hasn't been in a locker room hasn't been on the field I don't understand how that happens because don't you have personnel sets like wouldn't they be calling out hey this is hey, the field goal hey, defense even even how guys, does a 12th guy even get out guys there? that have been in locker rooms in the NFL in college even guys that have been around the game played special teams been on block units been on field goal units they don't understand how that happens the only explanation you can come up with is ultimately special teams coach didn't have them prepared for that particular situation, and they did not get subs in and out of the game quick enough, and they didn't understand what was on the field. Because it's not even like a guy was running off. In the end of the day, it's a gaffe that's unexplainable, inexcusable. Every single, whatever adjective you want to use to describe that final play of the game, it can't happen. And there's no explanation really for it. It I guess you could say the Broncos, they did their... They did their fire drill field goal. The the Bills did not have enough time to respond. They didn't get the extra guy off the field. But no, you know that situation's about to happen. You go into that situation understanding the Broncos do not have another timeout. You understand that they're going to have to sprint their field goal unit out there. You have to be prepared on the back end. Special teams coaches are, generally speaking, very understanding of the situation They usually have their personnel ready to go. But last night, there was a gaffe that just cannot happen if you want to be a Super Bowl contending team, if you want to be a playoff contending team. And I can't, I I just cannot, I can't explain it away by saying, oh, well, the Broncos didn't have a timeout. They sprinted on the field. The Bills weren't ready for it. You have to be ready for it. Well, because what was so odd about it is when they showed the replay and they counted all the guys, and somebody, it's not like somebody was trying to get off the field. Like, everybody thought they were supposed to be on the field yep. at that time. And that's why I was like, how does that possibly happen? And you like, even had an off-ball guy in Terrell happen? Bernard. You had an off-ball guy in Terrell Bernard who's not even going for the, for the, for the block. So it's like he was not even playing a, a vital role in that situation. So it's just, there's nothing that can explain that away. You lose a game because you had too many men on the field in a fire drill field goal situation. It's just well, and you couldn't score more awful. than twenty-two against the Broncos defense. That leads me to the next. <laughs> Bills decided after the game last night to fire Ken Dorsey, who's been their OC ever since Brian Dayball left. Um, Joe Brady, who sort of led the charge with that offense in twenty nineteen with the LSU program, uh, with Joe Burrow, with Justin Jefferson, with Jamar Chase, he's going to take over as the interim. And I, I don't disagree with the thought process behind firing Ken Dorsey. They haven't scored over 25 points since week four, and they have more than enough talent. They have a franchise quarterback. And quite frankly, since Ken Dorsey has taken over, I always think Josh Allen has had issues with turnovers, even with Brian Dable. But since Ken Dorsey has taken over, Josh Allen has been worse with his turnovers. I mentioned it already. League leading 13 to- turnovers and 11 INTs so far this year through 10 games, and he led last year as well in Ken Dorsey's first year with 19 turnovers. So I I completely understand it. And here's where a lot of the analytics folks will go with this, Connor, and it just it it blows my mind. Well, let's say the third in EPA per play, expected points per attempt, expected points per play, they are third in the NFL. What they've done as far as success rate, they're really high when it comes to their drive success rate, getting points. In the end of the day, they're 5-5, and They struggle with turnovers, they're quite predictable, and they can't get the run game going in really any meaningful way. Ken Dorsey, we had last night James Cook run for 109 yards on 12 attempts, yet Latavius Murray comes in constantly. James Cook doesn't get enough attempts. you, You can't explain it. So Ken Dorsey can be out of the door. That's completely fine with me. But I do have to ask a question. When it comes to this Buffalo Bills team, and the fact that they're 5-5. Five and five. They've struggled with some injuries on the defensive side of the ball. You can attribute it to that. Matt Milano, their, their all-pro linebacker, has been out for the year. Uh, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer have missed time. Their safeties, their, their pro bowl-type safeties, you can, you can attribute it to a lot of things. 
But in the end of the day, you can scapegoat whoever you want if you're the Buffalo Bills. And Sean McDermott seems to have done that with Ken Dorsey. But in the end of the day, when is this going to fall back on Sean McDermott? That's my question. I'm not saying it's right now. I'm not saying it's going to happen after this year. But when does he get – when does he – bear the brunt for what has happened with his team this particular season or the last two seasons when they got absolutely bowled over in the playoffs. Because I look at the meaningful changes that this team has needed to make over the past couple of off-seasons. They've needed to get better uh, at, at, at you know running the ball. They've need to, needed to bring some edge. On defense, they need to bring some edge. They need to get after the quarterback better. There's a lot of different things you can point at and say these are the meaningful changes they've needed to make, and they haven't made any of them. It's personnel, it's coaching, it's, it's front office. They have not made any of the meaningful changes that would lead you to believe that they're going to be a Super Bowl team. So at what point does that fall back on Sean McDermott as a whole? And I sort of wonder with our transition in football from offensive, you know, from, from defensive coordinator um, – to, to offensive young mind. We look at the Mike McDaniels of the world, the Kyle Shanahan's, the Sean McVay's, um, you know, Kevin O'Connell's, like these offensive minds that everybody seems to love. A guy like Sean McDermott, older coach, defensive name, defensive coordinator by trade. When do the Bills decide, hey, enough's enough. We're going to go find somebody that can really develop Josh Allen as our head coach. We're going to go find an offensive play caller, an innovative guy, as our head coach, to try to get us back over the hump. Because clearly, there's been regression, and you're not getting us there. I wonder, yeah, Ken Dorsey got fired, but when does it come down to Sean McDermott being the guy that can't get this team over the hump? That's my question. I'm not saying it's right now, but that is that is without question my question on this Bills team. Because, I, I mean, since that overtime loss, they took it to the hands of the Chiefs a couple of years ago in the playoffs – this team has just been trending downhill, and I, I think anybody with eyes can see that. I, I do believe if they would have gotten through the Chiefs a couple of years ago in the playoffs, they likely would have won a Super Bowl. I think they would have competed at a very high level, potentially got over the Rams. But since then, you don't see the, the viability. You don't see them trending in a positive direction. And I just sort of wonder. I wonder, right now, 5-5 five and five outside of the AFC playoff picture, not first in your division, even though everyone with a, with a brain before the year picked you to be first in your division, just not going in the direction that they'd hoped it would go. And I can't wait to talk to Jeff about this because I know this is going to be an interesting, interesting conversation. Now, uh, on the other side of last night's game, I, I do see this a lot. Um, a lot of people sort of are out on the Russell Wilson you know, experience in general. He got paid a lot of money. He hasn't really showed up in a meaningful way. But don't look now. They're four and five. They're trending in the right direction. And when you look at his statistics, I think you need to give a lot more credit to Russell Wilson and Sean Payton and their brain trust than we did at the beginning of the year. I know how bad they started. I understand that. But they've now beaten the Chiefs and the Bills this year. They've beaten the Chiefs and the Bills this year. And Russell Wilson, statistic-wise, 1,800 yards, 68% completion percentage, 18 touchdowns, which is tied for second in the league, and four INTs. Did we not give enough credit? Because I think we haven't. We need to give credit where credit's due. This is a positive direction, and I think there's the argument out there, Nathaniel Hackett was so bad that anybody could have done this, that anybody could have turned it around and made it look better, but this good? 18 touchdowns, four interceptions, 68, nearly 70% completion percentage, 1,800 yards, four wins for a team that was a cellar dweller last year? I don't think anybody could have done this. I, I know what I've said about Sean Payton in the past. I think, you know, with the Saints' experience with Drew Brees, a lot was uh, easy for him. Drew Brees was one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the NFL at attacking zone defenses. And he found ways to exploit that every single game. He'd check it down. They had a good defense. They made things happen. And I think that's one of the reasons we view Sean Payton in the, in the sort of air that we view him in. It's one of the greatest because it starts and the success for the Saints starts and ends with Sean Payton. But he's definitely put, making an imprint on this team. This team is substantially better than they were a year ago. And Russell Wilson 
is definitely learning some lessons along the way to make him a better quarterback. And they're finally starting to use him in some more meaningful ways. Last night down in the red zone when he threw that ball to Cortland Sutton, you're getting into the play-action concepts. He starts to make plays outside of the pocket. That's what he did with the Seattle Seahawks that made him successful. So you're starting to see it. You're starting to see it sort of flip around. And uh, I wonder how much credit we will be giving Sean Payton and Russell Wilson by the end of this year. Because the, the trend is there, guys. The trend is absolutely there. Four and five, they've won three straight. Their last two wins are against the Chiefs and against the Bills, and they were at Buffalo for that Bills game. So you can, you can poo-poo, all, poo-poo it all you want. You can down Russell Wilson. You can down Sean Payton all you want. But this team is going in a positive direction. I also, Unlike the team they played last night. The defense has also stepped up in a big way. Like Since they gave up 70, they have really kind of locked it down on the defensive side of the football. And, you know, you got to give credit there. It's they, They've got embarrassed by giving up 70 to the Dolphins, and then they've been 4-2 and two since. Yep. They've, they've done a good job. There's it's, no doubt about it. Last, I can't lie. Last night when I saw their record at the end of the game, I was like, what? <laughs> I, it, it, it's, they kind of sneakily got back to 4-5. and five. Three straight wins. That's what, it, that's what it looks like. It's what it's supposed to look like. Let Russ cook. Oh, I don't know about that. Broncos country. I don't, don't go, don't go too ride. far, but Broncos country, let's ride. This is a, <laughs> did you, this see, is did a you hear him do direction. it? Did you hear him do it on the uh, broadcast no, last night? No, I, 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 I tune out <laughs> for those things. I'm tired of hearing him say Broncos country, let's ride. The meme, is, it's just dr- driven me nuts. It's driven me nuts over the years. What did you make of uh, the Diggs tweet? Uh, Trayvon Diggs going on, talking about uh, 14, he said in his brother, Stefan Diggs, 14 needs to get the hell out of there. That's what he had to say. I, I, I'm not going to read into it too much. Because isn't this sort of uh, – this offseason and everything that has transpired, Stefan Diggs going off on Josh Allen in the playoff game, it's all led us to this. Like, I mean, if your antennas haven't been up now, I, I don't know if that tw- – your antenna should have been up before the tweet, I guess is the point I'm making. You should have you should have definitely been out in front of this before Trayvon Diggs, his brother, tweeted about Stefan. And I, I don't know what that relationship's going to look like by the time we get to the end of the year, especially if they miss the playoffs, if they continue to trend in this direction, or if they get into the playoffs and they don't have a real shot of winning ball games. Stefan Diggs is going to want out, and it feels like this has been the direction of it since last playoffs. Since that game against the Bengals where they got absolutely trucked at home in the snow. If you're, if you're a Bills fan, and I guess we can ask Jeff about it around five, but where are you on the, oh, this thing could be coming to a close window? <sighs> because it does seem like there's a lot of unhappiness there. It, I, I, like, I, I truly believe that they could turn around and get it together. Like They have the guys, well, they have the talented players to get it done. But with, with Diggs being unhappy, you just fired your offensive coordinator. Allen, you know, can't stop Would you feel more confident with an innovative offensive mind alongside Josh Allen if, if, if McDermott didn't you know, survive the year? Could you open that window back up? I think you could. I think you're still fine. But I think meaningful change needs to be made, and maybe that has to do with the head coach. It just feels like if you lose Diggs, you've got Kincaid. It's kind of bare after that. Yeah. Because Gabe Davis just Gabe hasn't Davis, turned not, into the player not, that you not, wanted him he's to. He's not being – he's not the number two you hoped he would be. He, right. He, it's, it's game on, game off for him, right? He led them in receiving yards last night, but he had five targets, only two catches. Like, he's just – he's not quite on that level you thought he'd be at this point. Yeah, I think you need to add more. And I think as long as you have Josh Allen, you're in a, you're in a preferential position. I think Josh Allen is one of the best in the game – but you need someone in there to come control the turnovers and be less predictable on the offensive side. And Sean McDermott's not that guy. Sean McDermott's going to go hire somebody to try to make that happen. And I don't know if he, his, his hiring practices after Brian Dable have been that sound. Ken Dorsey was not great. That experience hasn't worked out. Now you have Joe Brady, who didn't work out with the Panthers. He sort of got scapegoated by Matt Rule. right? He, was, he got fired as an OC pretty quickly. Didn't make anything happen. So I just I, – I, I wonder if at some point Sean McDermott is out, somebody else is in that they feel can manage Josh Allen and that offense a whole lot better. That's, that's sort of the direction I think they'll take if Sean McDermott does not turn this thing around ASAP. It feels ASAP. like it might just be a dip year. 
like one of those like, oh, we got to get some things together type of year. Because I, I don't expect the window to totally close because they've wasn't, got so much talent. Wasn't on that last team. year kind of a dip year too? I guess so. out I mean, early in the playoffs. Was, I guess it was moving toward this direction. But but and, to, and he to still, your point, he still though, led the league in turnovers. Everything Josh that Allen? you've talked about has been those were issues going back to last season. They were just kind of like, oh, though you know it'll fix itself. It, I, we kept hearing, oh, it'll it'll be fine. They'll fix itself. It'll fix itself. It'll fix itself. And then it didn't. Yep. And yep. here we are. Yep. And give the ball to James Cook. Yes. Good Lord. Hand it off to him. A Give bit. it to him. Make it. He's a good running back. He's a very good running back. Give him the and ball. They can actually run the ball. They're up. Uh, they're up near the. I don't. The every time the team is yards in there, carry. I'm like, what is happening? They're they're up near the league lead at yards per carry. They just don't really have those power running sets that that sort of lend themselves to playing power football. It's just it. They've done the same thing since that loss against the the Kansas City Chiefs, and it's just not paid off for them. I don't know if it's other teams catching up to them or it's Josh Allen just putting the ball in harm's way more, but it's just been an uncomfortable existence for the Bills and Buffalo Bills fans, the front office, everybody else. And I sure, I, I'm sure, I'm sure as hell that Sean McDermott does not feel comfortable with the trend that he's seen from his team. Now, coaching carousel, college football coaching carousel, I absolutely love it, adore it. First of all, with the Mississippi State opening, there's been a lot of discussion. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois around a guy like Jamie Chadwell at Liberty. Done a good job. He did a great job at Coastal Carolina. Made some things happen. He's done really good at, at Liberty as well uh, in his in his sort of half year here. They're not complete yet. But he has been of the conversation with Mississippi State. Now, a fake tweet came out today. Isn't that a good start? That's a good start to the coaching carousel season. Um, there was a tweet that uh, people put out that they assumed, they said, he was in Starkville, Mississippi. Now, it is, it is a complete hoax. It is not true. But I am, again, when it comes to college coaching carousel, I'm here for the fun, not necessarily the truth. That's always great. Now, there has been some conversations, which always happen uh, in, in pressers, to certain coaches around the country that may be involved in, in certain uh, college football coaching openings. And Dan Lanning has been sort of at the forefront in the conversation with the A&M opening that Jimbo Fisher has left behind. They want to get somebody quick. They want to turn around that program. They want to get in the college football playoff. And they feel like Dan Lanning could be one of those guys. Now, Dan Lanning did answer a question from the Oregon media about it, and this is what he had to say. Back, Matt. There's obviously been some talk about you and another school in the last couple days. Just... Your thoughts on that? How do you handle that and just your commitment to Oregon? Yeah, we talk about outside noise a lot in our program. Um, I guess the reality here is, one, our, our, my name and uh, our program would never be in the, a topic of conversation for another school if, if we didn't have something here that everybody else wanted. And the reason we have something here uh, that everybody else wants, that's because of what our players, our coaches, the support that exists here at Oregon have created. I think I've been really, really clear here since day one. Uh, everything I want exists right here. I'm not going anywhere. There's zero chance that I would be coaching somewhere else. Um, I've got unfinished business here. There's a lot that I want to accomplish uh, here at Oregon. My number one priority is being elite um, here at Oregon. And we have the resources, the tools. Um, anybody that can't understand why you would want to be here at this place doesn't understand exactly what exists here, right? Like what I've said before, with a 13-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 10-year-old, 
to be able to raise your uh, family in a community like this, to be able to compete for uh, championships and have the ability to get the resources you need. You know, a lot of coaches hang on to these moments and they don't do anything or don't say anything, one, because they don't want egg on their face when they decide to do something else, right? Two, because they're concerned about things that I'm not concerned about, like getting a better contract. Like, I'm taken care of extremely well here at Oregon. I have the resources I need here at Oregon to be really, really successful. I'm not motivated by that. I'm motivated by winning. I'm motivated by being elite here. Um, and our players deserve my complete focus. Uh, our fans deserve the best uh, product on the field. So it's outside noise. It didn't matter before. It doesn't matter now. I'll continue to say it till I'm blue in the face. I want to be here at Oregon. Uh, that hasn't changed. That won't change. Now, very affirmative. Oh, I'm staying at Oregon. I'm staying at Oregon. Now, there's a lot of people in the Oregon orbit that don't necessarily believe him. And that's really the first question. When you hear guys give these long-winded answers, coaches give these long-winded answers about why they want to stay in a certain place, people say, oh, do you believe him? Do you not believe him? I think there's a lot of people in Oregon that do not believe him because they, they quite frankly, have PTSD. Mario Cristobal ended up leaving for Miami, and you had Willie Taggart leave for Florida State way back in the day. That's their last two coaching situations that didn't quite uh, work out in their favor. Now, I'm going to get to the points of why I believe him. I do believe Dan Lanning when he says, I don't want to be any other place besides Oregon. Um, Willie Taggart, in, in large part, the reason he led for Florida State, he's from Bradenton, Florida. He got back to the state of Florida. It's not that complicated to understand why he took that job, maybe a little bit more, more money. You return to your home roots. You, you, you get a dream coaching job in your home state. And also, that's the same thing with Mario Cristobal. Mario Cristobal's from Miami. He went back to Miami for a whole lot of money to try to turn around that program. Those guys went directly back to their hometowns. Where's Dan Lanning from? He's from Kansas City, Missouri, guys. He's from Kansas City, Missouri. He doesn't have a whole lot of ties to Texas. Does he have ties to the SEC? Sure, he was at Georgia. He was at Bama. Yeah, but he doesn't have ties to Texas a and the way Mario Cristobal had ties to Miami, the way that um, Willie Taggart had ties to Florida State. So I want to put that to bed. I don't know if Florida fan, or Oregon fans should have the type of PTSD they have about hearing a coach saying they're not going to go somewhere and then those coaches left with Dan Lanning because both the coaches that you're talking about ended up going back to their hometown, ended up going back close to home where they have a lot of family and they're more comfortable. Now, I'll tell you why I believe him. One, um, because he said, I'm not going anywhere. There's zero chance I will be coaching somewhere else. I've got unfinished business here. One, Oregon has everything he needs. I truly believe that. I think that is, without question, the, the case. Uh, facilities are state-of-the-art and phenomenal, and they update them every time they get a chance. They have a winning tradition, even more so than A&M. We talk about A&M and they're, they're, uh, what they want to get done, what they want to do. They want to be winning SEC championships. They want to be in the college football playoff. They haven't done it. They don't have their trophy cases bare. Oregon's has Pac-12 championships. They've been to the college football playoff. They've done these things before. They've been in a national championship. They have a winning tradition. And then also you have the Nike contract. And if you know anything about the way that Dan Lanning got that job, Phil Knight and him are tight. Phil Knight has made it to where Dan Lanning feels loved there, and Dan reciprocates that love to Phil. So I feel as if that is another uh, sort of main reason and, and a big selling point as to why you want to stay at Oregon. And now, two, I think it's a true sentiment. I think most people will say this. It's a true sentiment that if you're a coach outside the Big Ten, a coach outside the SEC, you want a coaching job inside the Big Ten. You want a coaching job inside the SEC. Well, I know he's in the Pac-12 now, but where are they headed next year? They're headed to the Big Ten. They're off to the Big Ten next year. So the viability of being in a big conference, getting that bigger payoff, is there already for him. He has what he needs. He's going to be in the Big Ten. Now, three, as a coach, you worry about college football playoff viability. Can I make it in? Can I get to the promised land? Will I have an opportunity to go make that happen? It's expanding to 12 next year, guys. It's expanding to 12. You look me in the face with Oregon right now sitting at 9-1, and one, having lost only by three to Washington on the road where they had a chance to tie the game up at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the game, and they've hammered Colorado, they hammered Utah, they're big on both sides of the ball. They're really good on defense. They're, they're really good offensive line. They've built that program from the ground up. Look me in the face and tell me that you don't think Oregon is built with Dan Lanning to frequent an expanded playoff. You can't. You expand that to 12 teams, Dan Lanning could get there constantly at Oregon. Constantly. 
And I think there would be a little less in his way. Yeah, you talk about moving to the Big Ten. I think when we look at the Pac-12 and we look at the teams that are going to go over there, I think Oregon, ahead of UCLA, ahead of Washington, ahead of USC for sure, is more built, is substantially better built to make that transition to the Big Ten. They're tougher. They play with more edge. They're good on both lines. And that's what the Big Ten requires. And then fourth, he, he brought this up as well, money. He says, I, I, I have all I need. He, he does. Six years, $45 million in Oregon with more money coming in can up that. So whatever Texas A&M brings to the table, they can go either match or get very close, and Dan Lanning would probably be happy with that contract. So there's a lot of people out there saying, okay, I don't care what he said. I don't necessarily believe him if the money's on the table and he wants to go at A&M, to, to A&M. I personally, based on what he had to say, I believe him wholeheartedly. I don't think there was any lying that he brought to the podium yesterday. Because I think that Oregon is the perfect spot for him at this particular moment. And the grass is not always green. When you head to AM, that you play an expectation game with a program that has never reached expectations. That would make no sense. Oregon has reached expectations constantly, exceeded expectations, has a trophy case that's worthwhile. Why would you leave all that with the money you're making and go to AM and put yourself in an uncomfortable spot where you have to recruit, turn over the roster quickly, and deal with Alabama and Georgia. I wouldn't want to do it. I'll tell you that right now. Now, also, I, I get a kick out of this because Deion Sanders has done a good job at Colorado. Some people will disagree. Some people will say, oh, well, he's really been rough down the stretch of the season, uh, whatever. They're 4-6. and six, They're 1-6 and six in conference. I get all that. Um, but they did beat TCU at the beginning of the year. They've had some good wins along the way, and that was a one-win team last year. But Dion, Dion was asked about A&M opening and openings in general, and he said, I want to win a game um, because uh, going into this weekend, they're playing at Washington State. I think that's a chance for them to win. They need to get to bowl eligibility. It's going to be hard with Washington State, though, and Utah. But he said, I want to win a game. You think I really go sit down and think about that kind of stuff? Come on, I'm good. We've got to win. Let's focus on this week. Why is he being asked that, Connor? Why, 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 Deion San- why is Deion Sanders being asked a question about Mississippi State maybe or A&M? One, he's not leaving Colorado until his kids are done. I, I think that is pretty much on the table. I think that is, that is sort of set in stone. And two, what makes you think that the SEC – is going to go ahead and hire. Like, SEC programs, why do you think they're going to hire Dion right now? Yes, he's, he did a good job at Jackson State. He's a player getter. He can do those things. But he's 4-6 and six at his Power 5 school. You don't think they want more proof of winning before they bring in a guy like Deion Sanders? Yeah, he can get the players. But when you look at the SEC, everyone else gets players too. Everyone. Everyone else gets five stars, four stars. It's not just players that wins in the SEC. You have to show that you have a winning tradition, that you can win at a high level before you get offered those jobs. So I see a lot of people sort of talking about it and discussing, well, his kids, he won't leave his kids. I don't think he'll get offered a job like that yet. It's not that he's not ready, but I don't think anybody else in the SEC that wants to win at a very high level is ready to hire Deion Sanders. That's the real truth of it. You can deny it all you want, but that is the truth of where Deion Sanders is at at this moment. He's 4-6 and six at Colorado and at risk of missing a bowl game. I would bet on him missing a bowl game. Do you think SEC athletic directors are ready to hop into those waters and say, Deion, come coach A&M. Deion, come coach Mississippi State. I don't think it's close. I don't think it's close yet. I think State makes way more sense than well, A&M. Well, of course. Would, but of I, course, I still but don't I think, still don't think it do. makes sense. Yeah. Well, And I don't think it makes sense for Deion. <laughs> just, I, I don't understand why he would be why make the jump to Mississippi State from Colorado right now. It just doesn't it doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah, it's I, I am starting to get the sense that A and M believes their job is much more attractive than it actually is. It's like you can offer a ton of money, a ton. Outside of that, though, it's a You're toxic place sense. to be. It's, a, <laughs> it's been like it that. is a toxic place they, to they be. They have this. They have I would a, not want to be the A and M head coach. They have an elevated view of themselves when they haven't accomplished anything. That's why I go back to their trophy case. It's bare. There's nothing in there. They weren't even good in the Big 12. And these expectations were created from Johnny Manziel in an 11-win season way back when. What was that, 2013, something like that? Maybe before 2012? 
They beat Alabama a couple times. They thought they were on top of the world. That's where those expectations come from. But let's be honest, they're irrational expectations. The things that they have never been able to reach in the history of their program. And you've always heard about the come up of A&M. You've always heard about them finally breaking through this year, and it's never happened. They have always, I think more so here since the 2010s, I think always as well, but they have this elevated view of themselves, and it's very easy to see. So I just find this whole thing interesting, and I can't wait to continue to follow the I can. You want me to rattle off their season since that 2012? Go ahead. So 2012, they went 11-2. and two. By the way, leading up to it, they went 6-20. and 20, We'll go back to 2010. 2010, they were 9-4, and 7-6, 2011. 11-2, 9-4, 8-5, 8-5, 8-5, 7-6, 9-4, 8-5, 9-1, 8-4, 9-1, 8-5, 9-1, 8-5, 9-1, 8-5, 9-1, 8-5, 9-1, 8
for the Broyles Award, the best assistant coach in college football because of what he's done with this offense. This offense has been humming largely, been very good. 59 against USF, 44 last week, 45 in the win over North Texas. He's done a good job. This offense has been great, but defensively they've just been abysmal. In abysmal in different ways, right? North Texas, you have guys draped all over these receivers in good position. They can't make a play on the ball. North Texas ends up coming back, taking the lead before Memphis ultimately wins on the final score, final drive of the game. Uh, Against South Florida, against a freshman quarterback, you saw this defense. No, they weren't draped all over, guys, but the secondary stunk in a different way. Busted coverage after busted coverage. Guys out of position. They couldn't tackle well. All these different things definitely came back to bite them. So when you go from North Texas to South Florida, where you were in good position, didn't make plays, out of position, didn't make plays, completely different. And then last week against Charlotte, one of the worst offenses in the country, and I I truly mean that, their quarterback threw four picks, and you won by six. They could not stop inside runs from a guy in Hassan Wilson who had four yards in his career leading up to that game. He had 198. He has 202 in his career, 198 of them, and all of his touchdown production, three touchdowns, came against the Memphis Tigers last week. And also they had play action out into the flat to the tight end that just killed the Tigers. So the immediate thought with this is that the Tigers' defense is not ready to face a team like SMU. But I do want to rewind you back, and I'm going to spread some positivity here. Spread some positivity here. I want to rewind you back to the last time they were big home dogs against Ole Miss. I was on the field at that moment in 2015. Our defense was dreadful that year. Gave up up around 50 to Navy in our first loss, 30-some-odd to Temple in another loss, lost late in the game because we couldn't get a stop against Houston. That defense was dreadful that year. Good players. I don't think the scheme was right. I don't think the coaching was right. Dreadful. In that game against Ole Miss, one of the highest-powered offenses in the country, with Chad Kelly at quarterback, held that team to 24 points. And they had 14 in the first quarter, so they had 10 through the rest of the game. I get the sense with this particular team, because of what we saw earlier in the year, it's not like this defense played horrible ball against the lane. It's not like this defense played horrible ball against Mizzou. I get the sense that this team plays up and down to competition and the defense certainly does the same thing. When they're locked in on a very premier opponent, they play substantially better. When they play these teams that are inferior, they're on the road. We talked about those BYOE games on the road at UAB, on the road at North Texas, on the road at Charlotte. Bring your own energy. In those games, they tend to struggle. They don't have any juice. I think they'll bring more juice, but what does that equal? Is it more like 2015 against Ole Miss? Or do you end up getting gashed by SMU this year the same way you've been gashed the past three weeks, ultimately? I, 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 I don't know where to fall on that spectrum. I wouldn't be surprised with either outcome, quite frankly. And I'm not saying I bet on a Memphis Tiger win by any stretch of the imagination. But I do wonder the type of energy they bring and if this defense can step up to the plate and make something happen against a, a premier offense in the country, premier offense in this conference. The, the feeling, I, I don't disagree with anything that you just said. The feeling I have, though, going into it is that they're just going to have to outscore them. Like, it's just going to have to be huge of numbers course. from the offensive end. Like, uh, to be quite honest, and, you know, I, I kind of have the feeling like if you don't score 35-plus, you're probably not going to win this game. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 think that's, I think that's fair. I think that's fair in theory. But, again, I rewind you back to 2015. That was a thought process. Hey, you're going to have to go outscore them. You're going to have to score every time you get the how ball. Many, how many did y'all score, though? 37. 37. 37, so right there. But 24 on the other side for Ole Miss. They, were, they capitalized on turnovers. They made things happen. That game happened, got a fourth down stop. So who knows? I don't – I mean, if you're a betting man, you would bet on this defense flopping like they have the last – just flailing around like they have the last three weeks. But I know intensity in games changes things for the better sometimes, and I wonder if that's what we see from this team in particular. Now, I wonder what the Grizz intensity is going to be like tonight. On the road, 9.30, really, really late, in the crypt, against the Lakers. Lakers' injury report is, a, is an interesting one to follow. Um, it looks like Anthony Davis is going to be probable, so he, he likely will play. LeBron James is questionable. He missed the last game 
Um, and then obviously Jalen Hood, Shafino, Jared Vanderbilt, Gabe Vincent are completely out. So the, the Lakers have been dealing with a little bit of uh, nicks and bruises of their own. We know the Grizzlies have been absolutely decimated by injuries. But I wonder what type of intensity we see from this team tonight. Do they have more energy after beating the Clippers at that same arena on Sunday? Like, I, 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 I don't know which way to lean. And I think ultimately, Connor, the reason I've almost thrown these, these games into your lap at times, what do you think about the game, is because it is so hard to project what the Grizzlies are going to look like night to night. I think they've found some things. I think Jacob Gilliard on ball, letting Desmond Bain, Marcus Smart do more things off ball has been a positive. I think Bismack Biombo being inserted into the starting lineup, being their main big, getting the rebounds, having double-doubles, blocks, uh, being a, a, a rim protector, I think that has been phenomenal for this team. But at the same time, you're not dealing with a full cupboard by any stretch of the imagination, and you don't know what these role players are going to look like night to night. It reminds me a lot of the Clippers game. You know, this is a Lakers team who on paper right now should be better than the Grizzlies, but they are dealing with injuries in certain areas that the Grizzlies can exploit. You know, Anthony Davis is banged up on the inside. If LeBron's not in the game, they're not going to be very big. You can, you know, you can take advantage of that. Now, on the flip side of it is that their defense is pretty good. Their wing defense is good. Cam Reddish has really stepped up early in the season for them. You don't know if that's a mirage, if he can keep that going. That's something to look out for. It's going to be another one of those Desmond Bain. You know, Desmond and Jaron have to do their thing. You need somebody to step up and be that, that guy. Luckily, Luke Kennard looks like he has his shot back. Yep. I think that they have a shot to win tonight. I think being in L.A. for the, the last few days helps them adjust to the time change. I'm not, I'm not too worried about the late start, to be quite honest. I think Marcus Smart's going to help them bring that intensity. He was, you know, great defensively. David Roddy was really good in the fourth quarter. Hopefully he carries that over. Bismack Biombo's on a roll. Hopefully he carries that over. They've just been playing the. They've been playing better ball the last four games. I know they're only two and two, but they are they are headed toward the right direction. So hopefully tonight they can continue that trend. I it, I'm with you. I it's I think it's a it's a exercise in futility to try to predict if the no, Grizzlies are going to win or lose night tonight. But I believe they're going to be in this. game. I think they can be competitive. It's a seven yeah. point line at this particular moment. If LeBron plays, that it, feels it, big. If if LeBron plays, that's that could swing it a whole lot, and the line may change. If they decide that LeBron's going to play, but seven is a seven's a large line in the NBA, and this team has been again the last four games. I know it's small sample size; they're two and two. But ever since they got Bismack going, uh, ever since they got Jacob Gillier in that starting lineup, it just feels like a more connected, better team. They you know, have got. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.